Well, joining me now is uh, I think a legend flying under the radar, and his name is Michael Castle. And the Michael Castle Group has brought the wonderful musical to Australia called Hamilton, which has always perplexed me how there could be a wonderful musical about a treasurer. But we're all going to find out that out the moment. Michael Castle, thanks for joining us on the Learning from Legends show with me, Peter Switzer. Thank you for having me. So, Michael, I, I really should start off with talking about you, but really, Hamilton is so big. Let's start with Hamilton and then work out how come you were so smart and so talented to get this uh, production here in Australia. So let's just assume, everybody, that Michael is very talented and we'll find out you know, how talented in a moment. But Hamilton is, has perplexed me. As you know, I'm an economist. You know, I've written about economics you know, in newspapers and on TV, we've talked about on TV and radio for a long time. And I was kind of staggered when I was an American, I was talking about this you know, uh, musical about a treasure, and I thought, how could this be interesting? So, so tell us about Hamilton in a nutshell for people who don't really know what it's about. Yeah, look, I, well, this is your musical then, Peter. That's, <laughs> uh, this is your show. But look, it's a, Hamilton is a story of one of America's founding fathers, uh, Alexander Hamilton who was an immigrant from the West Indies, who went on to become George Washington's right-hand man and went on to become the nation's first treasury secretary. So that's the, that's the historical kind of financial uh, history in a nutshell. But really what makes Hamilton so appealing is that it's a story of, of one individual. It's a human story of a Caribbean orphan who goes on to become founding father. It's a man who, uh, has determination to change not just the trajectory of his life, but that of his adopted country. And I think, you know, that coupled with the story of his love for his wife, of his immense political rivalry with his friend and uh, rival Aaron Burr, um, is what makes it such a well-told, well-crafted story. And I think that's what audiences connect to. It's the, it's the layers of emotional connection that we as audiences relate to and experience. And, and it's all told through this incredible blend of hip-hop and jazz and R&B and Broadway-style music. So it's certainly very contemporary, uh, very innovative uh, in terms of how it progresses uh, the, the, the telling of a musical. And it's, it's one that, you know, quite obviously has appealed to audiences far and wide. Hmm. Let, me, let me put a few questions to you on the supposition that people listening to this might not, have, might not know much about the musical at all. So, uh, so let, me, let me ask questions that uh, listeners might be thinking. So was he uh, of um, a black origin? Was he a West Indian um, native or was he a, a Brit that was an orphan in the West Indies? Yeah, no, so that, it's a good question. And, you know, Lin-Manuel Miranda, who's the genius who came up with the idea of putting this on stage as a musical, just as a bit of, as a bit of background to, to answer that question, he went on holidays back in 2008 and read this incredibly um, lengthy uh, biography on Alexander Hamilton by Ron Chanel. And it was while reading this book that uh, this, you know, and the life of, of Alexander Hamilton, that he had the realisation that this would make a very, very good musical, which is why he's a genius. Mm -hmm. But one of the first sort of um, ideas that he had was that he wanted the, all of the cast 
um, all of these characters, including Alexander Hamilton, to be played and represented on stage by non-Caucasian actors. You know, if, if you were doing this legitimately, it would be told in another way. And Lynn described it as a, the, the reason for doing so was so that audiences would leave whatever cultural baggage that they had or they were predisposed to about the Founding Fathers at the doors of the theatre. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what makes it so exciting. So you do, you have Alexander Hamilton played by, you know, non-Caucasian actors here in Australia, indeed on stage on Broadway and in the West End, uh, as you do the rest of the cast. And I think that's what makes it incredibly thrilling. Obviously, it gives you a new lens in which to discover these characters and their stories. Yeah. But historically, Hamilton was white. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I was trying to get my head around, you know, racism in those days was so terrible. The slave trade was active and all that sort of stuff. I, I found it very hard to imagine that you know, a, a black West Indian could have ascended that position of acceptance by the founding fathers. So that's interesting. And, and well, as I listened to this, I remember quite a... Um, an unforgettable play I saw at the old Vic in the 1970s, probably before you were even born, um, Michael. And uh, and it was uh, Richard III, and all the actors, yeah, and all the actors were in um, dinner suits, drinking martinis, and they were all corporate executives planning a takeover. And it was it was. So, taking Shakespeare out of context and it works so brilliantly and in the end you accept it and you, you understand it's still the same play but you can see a different lens on, on a, a, and it just worked just as well. The fact that I remember it to this day um, is uh, quite staggering, I think. I, I think, you know, certainly that's, what, that's what's let's happened go, to, let's have, go to, to have that piece of musical theatre which is you know, based on a piece of history that, you know, even... Americans will admit, you know, they weren't too familiar with. They know that Alexander, well, they may not know that Alexander Hamilton appears on the $10 note, but that's mm. about all. And so to have this discovery of this hugely influential figure in American history and then indeed to have that translated to international audiences, you know, it's quite exceptional. I think it's, you know, and it's the, it's the combination of how it's been told, the characters and the casting that's chosen to tell it, the style of music and indeed just kind of this, you know, hugely complex but entertaining and relatable and emotional story that people connect with. And, you know, these are these are characters of history that none of us are necessarily familiar with. So why is the musical about Treasurer so popular? Is it is it the music itself? Or was he was he an outstanding human being that brought with him a great story? Look, I think, I, think, I think it's several things. I do think he is an outstanding human being with an incredible story. I think, you know, his commitment, his hunger, you know, there's a song which, you know, um, features in the show, you know, I'm not throwing away my shot. You know, that kind of is the, you know, um, sort of guides his way. You know, he is so passionate, so um, committed to, as I said, to sort of progressing his career, progressing his lot in life and indeed, you know, taking his, you know, fellow countrymen along uh, with him. Um, so you have this, you have this, uh, this passion, you have this ambition, 
And then it's all told through, you know, this incredible music that's infectious. I mean, my, you know, my experience of seeing the show for the first time was in 2015, shortly after it opened on Broadway. And there was an incredible amount of hype about the production. And I deliberately chose not to read anything online about Alexander Hamilton because I wanted to see, you know, what was so fascinating about this story and why would I be interested in it as an Australian heading over to New York City to learn about a, a what I thought then was just a story about a founding father of America. But this music is great. It's music you want to listen to on the on your stereo, on your iPhone. In fact, <laughs> it's playing on high rotation in my car at the moment. I was listening to it on the way to work today and, you know, I've heard it many, many times. But it's just it's that type of music that, you know, just captures your ear. And I think what's been incredible certainly here in Australia as they've experienced all around the world is that we've got people coming to the theatre for the first time. I actually received a message uh, last week on email saying, dear Michael, I've never been to the theatre before uh, and I was wondering, could you tell me where I should sit? He said, because I actually, I want to come and see Hamilton. I've been told that even if you don't like musicals, this is one musical you need to see. And I think that's what it's done. It's, it's, you know, certainly captured the zeitgeist. It's got people interested in theatre that may have never been interested before. It's got people interested in history that we never knew was maybe relevant or of interest to us. And it's that sort of perfect storm and, and you know, it's, it's why it's capturing the imagination of audiences all around the world. Mm. Now, I, I did re- do a bit of reading on you, Michael, and um, it, it, uh, apparently Jesus Christ Superstar was one of the great inspirations that made you want to be a, a producer and be in the, the theatre game. But the music from that became, like, unforgettable. Is the music... Are you saying the music of this Hamilton um, um, play or, or musical will be uh, as remembered as the Jesus Christ Superstar songs? No, look, I do think Ham- Hamilton will, you know, sort of have a similar trajectory to the cast recording of Jesus Christ Superstar. I think, you no, know, Jesus Christ Superstar had that incredible rock pop score that you wanted to listen to, you wanted to, you know, turn up and sing along to. And I think we're going to see, you know, in generations, the Hamilton uh, score just as beloved. You know, I tell a story, my brother, who, although he's a great supporter and comes and sees all of my shows, isn't necessarily listening to uh, musical cast recordings uh, <laughs> when he's at home. But several years ago, he called me and he said, Michael, I've just been listening to this incredible uh, album called the Hamilton Mixtape. And I said, yeah, Matthew, it's actually, it's based on a musical. It's from this Hamilton musical over on Broadway. And I think that just goes to show that, you know, this music has captured people's ears that, you know, may not necessarily, you know, enjoy listening to musicals or like the style, but it's it's found a way to bring people into the theatre, engage people with the musical form. And I think we're going to be seeing that for generations to come. Okay. So we've done plenty of promos for Hamilton. But before, <laughs> before we start promoting Michael Castle, I guess there's some coronavirus-type questions because you're currently in Sydney. Has the coronavirus disturbed the business model to a degree? And then you are going to Melbourne where it's, it's pretty uh, tricky in Melbourne. So tell us, tell us about your, your Sydney experience and when does your Melbourne experience start? 
Yeah. Well, look, we're having an incredible time and we're very fortunate to be here in Sydney, obviously, with Hamilton and uh, playing at 100% capacity, which we've been doing so since we opened back in March. And we've had full houses. We're on sale through to the end of December and enjoying a great run here. Unfortunately, we are having a bit of a bumpy time down in Melbourne. Uh, although we've announced Hamilton will open in Melbourne next year, we do have a production of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child that returned to the stage at the end of February. And that was after, you know, just almost a year of being closed. We got the cast and the show back up and running and just, you know, we're now coming into our third week of being uh, shut down uh, with the circuit breaker lockdown that was implemented several weeks ago. Uh, Despite some of those restrictions being lifted last week, we're not yet at a stage where we can be, you know, opening up the theatre and bringing and welcoming an audience into the building, uh, nor indeed having our company uh, go and perform on stage. And that's been very challenging. It's, it's, it's a huge financial challenge, huge financial risk for us right now. Um, but more so, you know, my biggest concern is about the 500 plus people that the show employs both on stage, behind the scenes, all of our staff in the theatre. You know, everybody at the moment is at home uh, waiting for the opportunity to return to work. And it's, you know, financially devastating for each and every one of them, for their families, for their partners. Uh, and indeed, it's financially devastating for us as producers and, and the original producers uh, overseas because there's been a huge commitment uh, not only to launch the show initially, which we did back in 2019 and had an incredible run in our first year, 325,000 people came through the theatre doors, so, you know, sold out. But to be at this stage where we've had to go and reinvest to get the show back up and running, uh, that was a substantial investment that we made back in February and to, you know, then be caught in this lockdown, which, you know, we understand from from the, you know, point of view of of health and safety. But what is challenging for us right now is that there's no um, clarity as to when we can reopen those doors and and get people back in. And that uncertainty obviously is our our biggest focus right now to to get the show back up and running. I don't ask the question, you know, is your business vulnerable? And I don't really want to know the answer. I just hope it's not vulnerable to all this. But musicals and everything in the theatre is a, is a big gamble. Um, and you would, you would never factor this into your risk management program because every business in the world, some people, you know, bullshit to me that they actually, yeah, had contemplated it might happen. But, yeah. I analyze companies all the time. I've never seen it in their in their um, their documents or their balance sheets or anything like that. So they're bullshit artists. Excuse the French, but for you, the last thing you need is anything that stops people coming through the doors. Um, and fortunately, I guess having Hamilton means that at least you got a really good product when everything gets back to normal. Yeah, look, I mean, you're absolutely right. You know, we we talk about lots of scenarios that could impact our business. Never once did we think that a pandemic would hit, nor that something like this would uh, prevail for so long. You know, <laughs> never in our wildest dreams. Uh, we are lucky to have kind of, you know, shows like Hamilton to be returning to the stage. Indeed, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Uh, I'm off to New Zealand at the end of this week, where after almost 18 months of being closed, we're returning to the stage, the Lion King International Tour. 
So we've got three great shows, three great brands that, you know, are ready to return to the stage. And, you know, it's, we're just lucky to be in this part of the world where we can be, you know, albeit, you know, the bumps in the road um, in, in terms of our experience on Pottery in Melbourne at the moment. But, you know, we can be getting people back to work and welcoming audiences through the doors. If we're anywhere else in the world, we'd still be waiting. And, you know, we, we are watching with great anticipation our colleagues in London who are getting ready to hopefully open the West End up uh, and indeed on Broadway, which starts to open up uh, in August and September. So we're lucky. We've you know lucky. We've been in a very lucky position to have been you know working since February. Uh, but you know the biggest challenge for us is the uncertainty uh, as we're experiencing right now in Victoria, but also the borders. The borders plays has a huge impact on you know our ability to uh, entertain audiences to sustain long runs. Obviously, from a consumer perspective, it's challenging. You know, should they be committing to, to book those flights and travel interstate to come and see a show with border uh, restrictions and, and potential lockdowns? Uh, and indeed, the international borders. So much of our focus on these big shows coming to Australia relies on the you know, tourism, both domestic and international. And right now, with the international close, that certainly has an impact on the longevity of these runs. Okay. Now, I'm not going to get specific because you who, who wants to reveal everything about your your business life but for people to understand how big a gamble it is to put on something like this what's the most you've had to promise to pay to put on a big musical of this kind of caliber what's what's the what's the the starting price that you have to pay to get someone overseas to say yeah this guy can do it he's, he's the michael edgley of today <laughs> yeah Look, I mean, you know, it's more about actually, it's not so much about going and paying for the rights or doing those type of deals because, you know, what we, our model's typically been, we are co-producing with the original Broadway producers, okay. uh, which, you know, makes them equal partners in the show. The, you know, obviously our focus and our pitch for, for our company is, you know, having the commercial and the artistic ability to shepherd these shows to the stage and, and manage them when they're running. Uh, but obviously, you know, it's a huge financial commitment for, for them and, uh, and for us to, to originate these shows. You know, they're multi, multi-million dollar productions. Uh, and, you know, there's a big upfront commitment before we even get to welcome an audience through the door for the first time. And then indeed substantial operating costs, you know, which run you know, $800,000 plus per week uh, for most of these shows. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a high risk business uh, and it takes a lot of committed folk to, to roll the dice and, and take that risk. Thankfully, we're working on productions that have a good track record and which we feel passionate about for the Australian market. But certainly you know, the, the past year has shown just how um, sensitive our, our business is to you know, the, the rest of the rest of the environment um, and you know, live theatre certainly was the first to close down. Um, and as we're seeing now, is you know, one of the last businesses to be returned. Yeah. You know, um, I, I know how tough your, your business is, but you have one really lucky part of your business. I don't know if you admit to it, but people in the media love musicals and theatre and stuff like that. So you do get a lot of free publicity, don't you? 
Well, oh, okay. Restaurateurs get like even the ABC has free ads for restaurants. Oh, I think, how do they do that? Like, imagine <laughs> me, my financial planning business on the ABC. You know, here's Peter Switzer from Switzer Financial Planning. No, no, but restaurants and theatre and cinema and music—it's fantastic. I, I like it. In fact, you, you get away away with it. But it, it's probably that, the only lucky aspect of your business. Look, no, we are lucky. We are lucky. We are lucky that it's so well embraced. Obviously, it's always you know there's interesting stories to tell from a media perspective, um, and in something like Hamilton or Harry Potter, when it's the first you know Australian premiere, and and it's the first time that audiences here in Australia have been able to experience it. There's a lot of interest, and you know that helps us. You know, our biggest uh, challenge in terms of marketing is getting that word of mouth out there and, and people embracing the show and communicating what these shows are about. Um, and so it's always nice, you know, it's always nice when the media are knocking on your door saying, you know, we want to be a part of it. Yeah, yeah. All right. You started off as a young man, 16, I think it was, or 15, doing carols by candlelight down in Tacoma. Uh, then you eventually ended up in Wollongong uh, Wind Stadium in the end. But yes. Now, people, what, but people listening to this will be saying, okay, it's coming out of nowhere. And, and sure, you, what I did note from your, your backstories was the one thing you had the guts to do is write lots of letters asking people to give you a job. And a lot of people tell you to come back when you finish school and stuff like that. But th- this is a big lesson, isn't it, Mark? That you just got to have guts in this game. Yeah, you don't have to have guts. And also, I think you've just got you know, not be afraid of rejection not be afraid of a no. You know, I, um, we talk about it all the time today in, in our company with our team. You know, what's the worst people can say? No. So you know, I think our job is to dream. Our job is to take risks. And yeah, I just sort of learned that early on. I enjoyed the, I enjoyed writing letters. I enjoyed asking people for opportunities. And for every, you know, handful or a dozen letters that would say no, you'd get one person who would be generous with their time or, you know, take you on for work experience. And I love that. That was, you know, sort of the start of my career. And, you know, that sort of evolved to asking for rights or, you know, opportunities to collaborate with different composers and authors today. It's, uh, you, you don't ask, you don't get. Yeah. But also, you know, you, you're wise enough to try and put yourself into good company. You know, people like Harry and Miller, um, Disney, and and I, I guess you worked as an employee in those situations, but at least created a fantastic network of people who would, you know, rate you as being someone worth listening to. Yeah, look, I think if you sort of, you know, looking back and, you know, Harry and Miller was my first boss and it's amazing just how those relationships and those connections of just, you know, working hard and learning and, and, and being guided by, you know, the various people who were in Harry's world at that time, you know, are still with me as friends, colleagues, associates today. And then, you know, obviously when I joined Disney both here in Australia and then when I moved to New York, it's you know, all of those relationships is, you know, really what supports my business today because I was able to build such a great network of people who trusted me, who I was able to collaborate with and they know that, you know, I deliver um, and in turn, you know, they know that my team will deliver. Um, And that's really been a, you know, certainly a great lesson how important those networks and relationships are. Okay. So just give us an example of, of, of your first big 
coup as the Michael Castle group. I caught the popping the champagne moment, you know, when you, you go off, you tell your partner you're going to have a crack at this and then eventually the yes comes through and you say, let's get that bottle of champagne and celebrate. Oh, I feel like we have those moments all the time. Every kind of big sort of, you know, leap forward is, is a big champagne popping moment. You know, I think that the first was my first trip overseas when I decided I wanted to open the company and I was on my way to go and meet with Cameron McIntosh and he said, if you want to produce my show in Australia, then we need to spend time together. So I flew over to meet Cameron and, you know, he agreed. We had a handshake to bring Les Miserables to Australia. Uh, that same trip, I had written my business plan and, I, as, as you said, I like writing letters and meeting people and having, you know, great mentors. So I wrote to Michael Eisner, who used to be the CEO and chairman of the Walt Disney Company. Mm-hmm. And, you know, although I had worked with Disney for almost 10 years, I'd never uh, worked, been connected to Michael. But I wrote to him and said, Dear Michael, as somebody who's run the world's most successful entertainment company, I'd like to establish the world's most successful uh, live entertainment company focused on musicals and, you know, could you meet and could we review my business plan? Anyway, he got in touch and I ended up going and spending the day with him in New York and that was a high five moment. I couldn't believe that I was sitting there going through a business plan with, you know, this person who had led a you know, multi-billion dollar world-renowned company. But, you know, opening Hamilton a couple of months ago, that was a moment. Certainly I think that's the most recent highlight for us having you know, experienced like the world had 2020, but as a team, our focus was firmly on getting our shows back up and running and we were desperate to get Harry Potter and the Cursed Child and the Lion King back on stage. But Hamilton for us was the new show that, you know, we weren't returning to the stage that we'd be opening. And to, to make it to that point in March when we could actually look around and see audiences walking through those doors and this incredible company on stage, that was a huge moment of celebration for us that we had, you know, the, the difficulties and the challenges and the conversations that we had had over, you know, almost 12 months had paid off and that we were at this point in time where we could be returning to the theatre and, in fact, our business could be returning to, to what we love. Yeah. Well, one of my favourite books is uh, John Maxwell's 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership and uh, clearly you're in the leadership game. And one of the things that John says is, um, you know, operate in your strength zone and make your weaknesses irrelevant. And we often do that by having great people around us. Obviously, you're good at lots of things, but what is your strength zone and what do you get other people to help you with? Oh, look, I get other people to help me with a lot of things. I think my strength zone is, I think, as a, and I think this is fundamental to a producer, is sort of that, I think passion, number one, because you have to excite others around you, whether it's your own team, whether it's the people who are, you know, breathing life into your show, the cast and crew, indeed investors, media, et cetera. So I think I have a ability to, to excite, to lead uh, that passion. Uh, I think I have a great eye for detail, which I think is necessary for a producer, whether it's artistic detail or financial detail or, or somewhere in between. But then I also have, I think, you know, what I rely on this team is to execute. You know, we've got amazing people and, you know, that was a big um, sort of step up for our business about four years ago when I thought, okay, if we continue to expand, we need really smart people across all disciplines of the business. And so I really um, spent time in, you know, 
headhunting the very best people to, to come and help take the business to, to the next level. And so, you know, we've got incredible finance people, incredible head of production, incredible head of marketing. And, you know, what I've learned is, you know, to really rely on them to delegate. I, you know, when I set up the business, uh, the first few years, I was doing everything. I was doing the accounts payable, I was doing the payroll, I was doing the marketing, doing the production meetings, trying to get the rights. And, you know, that's fun while you're a sort of, you know, uh, in your infancy and, you know, a bit scrappy. But, you know, you need to, to, to build something that's sustainable um, and that can grow. You need that team. And, you know, that's what I've been fortunate to, to, to build and expand. But I rely on them for everything. Um, and, you know, we sort of very uh, engaged, uh, close leadership team. Um, but, you know, we're doing incredible things. One last thing, Michael. Um, I often say behind every successful man is a very surprised woman. Uh, <laughs> so, what what is the what is the role of uh, your beloved in um, the operation? My beloved, uh, my wife Camille will happily tell everybody. Well, and deservingly so. Well, when I set the company up, she was employee number two because she was doing everything else. You know, helping with the books, keeping our life in order. Um, she. Camille is our uh, great mum to our, our daughter, Everly, who tells me she's going to take over the company and I should be changing the name to the Everly Castle Group, and my son, Vaughan, who, who has a similar ambition. Uh, but, yeah, look, Camille, what's great is that Camille and, and the kids are, you know, really involved in the business. You know, not so much in terms of, you know, turning up to the office and day-to-day, but, you know, I want them to be, this is a, you know, this is a big part of our life. It's, you know, taken a lot of sacrifices and, and risk for, for us as a family to do what we do. Um, but what's great is that you get to share it with them and that they, you know, that they feel as much a part of it and, and the success as, as I do. So um, I'm looking forward. My son's very excited. His favourite show is The Lion King. So um, he's, uh, he hasn't seen the show for a bit. So we're all going on a family adventure to New Zealand to go and see the return of that show, which will be a nice moment to our to be back in the theatre and, and watching the show together. Okay. Well, my surprise um, wife recently um, won the contract to do Harper's Bazaar in Australia. So I'm sure Maureen will be contacting you for a story or two along the line as well. <laughs> We'd love that. <laughs> I thought you might say that as well. Uh, Mark, it's been a great uh, pleasure talking to you. Good luck with the rest of Hamilton and Sydney. And I do pray that Melbourne gets their act together for you and, uh, and puts on a, a great season for you. Thanks so much, Peter. It's been really great to chat. Thanks for having me. And in case you came late, that was Michael Castle, the Michael Castle Group, the guy who's putting on Hamilton and many other great productions around the country. And by the way, if you want to get richer than you currently are, it might be a really good idea to watch my TV show on Monday and Thursday called Switzer Investing. Just go Google Switzer Investing and YouTube and we'll bob up. And also think about the Switzer Report. It's there for helping you find the best stocks in the country. We've been doing very well, Blake. We've been doing very well for a long time. That's switzerreport.com.au. Thanks for joining us. I'll find another legend next week. Time. Time.